0: Welcome to T3 Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, everybody,
1: and good morning. We have a great show here at T3 Uh, Today, tomorrow's technologies. I have two guests that I cannot wait to begin our discussion. Uh, First of all, Mr. Ron Cole, who is a representative of the state of Colorado for the commercial end of the space business. He's got many years in the military, over 40 and uh, working experience, and our next guest that I'll bring on here shortly, of course, is retired Captain Hawks Abbott. Uh, Hawks and I go back a long ways uh, for non-disclosure. He uh, is an employee of mine, and um, there's no one that I'd rather bring on to the show right now who knows about the at least the early days from NASA's perspective and the type of work he did uh, assigned to NASA in his early formative years in the military. So right now, the topic of the day is uh, space It is the next frontier. I used the word frontier, and maybe that was a misnomer because we're going to be pushing into space. Uh, Back in the 60s and 70s, we launched into space. We got to the moon. We came back, and then we moved from from the manned space uh, flights to more of a robotics or autonomous vehicle. We've been fortunate enough in the past shows that we've done robotic shows, autonomous vehicle shows we've done a little bit of the uh, computers because that's what it takes to get there because of the mathematics uh, and we'll be talking a little bit more of that but to me this is the pinnacle where are we going in space what is man going to do in the future and why is man even exploring space and those are the questions i'd like to address today uh, the real question is, um, how do we move from where we are today and into the future? And as you've seen the the revolution or evolution, uh, we've gone from a government program uh, starting up with uh, NASA, uh, military services picking up space, and now we're in the commercial market. And you've heard uh, of Elon Musk and his rocket launches in SpaceX. So at this time, I'd like to bring in... Um, Retired Captain Hawks Abbott, Uh, I consider him a space enthusiast, he was assigned to NASA, he is currently working in Colorado Springs uh, on both the uh, commercial and military space, and so at this time, uh, good morning Hawks, welcome to the show. Good morning, it's Uh, good to be here with you. Well, thank you. Uh, I was th- thinking as I started uh, prepping for the show, uh, thinking about all the war stories that you had told me about NASA in your early days, also your um, the connection with the various astronauts. And so let's uh, let's let's drill down. And how did you get into the space business?
2: Well, uh, in the Navy, I was an electronic warfare uh, uh, person. And I was flying on an airplane in the, over the Pacific, and I had a broken antenna on top of my airplane. And normally that antenna looked out to either side and ahead of us and behind us and so on. But the broken antenna was looking directly up. And I was sitting there uh, watching a, a signal coming down and hitting that antenna. And I said, well, what the heck is that? <laughs> it turned out to be a meteorological Signal that was providing data to Japan in this case for uh, watching typhoons and other meteorological activities.
1: And so, so did you sign up, you recruit, or did you volunteer to go to NASA? How did NASA uh, get a hold of you?
2: Well, after uh, my electronic warfare tour, I was assigned to Naval Space Command in Dahlgren, Virginia. Uh, And my first uh, commander was Admiral uh, Richard Truly, Dick Truly, who was a a shuttle astronaut and had been in the program even at the end of Apollo. And uh, so he uh, kind of excited me about different opportunities to help out uh, the space community at uh, Houston Uh, in concert with some activities that were going on with the Naval Research Laboratory, who um, is a well-known producer of uh, satellite systems.
1: And as you continue your career for our audience uh, to get involved in the T3 show today, you can call us at 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Uh, we're talking to uh, Hawks Abbott, retired captain, uh, 36 years working in the space business, uh, early days uh, assigned to NASA, and I'm asking Hawks about his early career based on his connections and his work with uh, some of the leading astronauts. Uh, some so Hawks, uh, how did you get start getting me to meet the astronauts in the different programs you were assigned to?
2: Well, as I was assigned to Naval Space Command, uh, several of the uh, reserve unit people were active there. Uh, my job was in 10CAP, and, and uh, they were uh, coming to the command to coordinate other reserve activities. And um, Steve Oswald, Bill Reedy, um, <clears throat> uh, Dave Griggs were all astronauts uh, assigned at Johnson Space Center and so these uh, people engaged with me as well as Admiral truly in different uh, opportunities to do experimentation at Johnson Space Center on the new and very robust shuttle program at the time
1: and as you look at nasa the foreground in the years and nasa today how do you compare the two or what 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 do you see the biggest shift
2: Well, I was fortunate enough to get to Johnson Space Center uh, early in 1990, and there were still a number of Apollo astronauts uh, still on site, including John Young, um, uh, uh, Joe Engel. Uh, There were always visits from Alan Shepard and Gene Cernan, and a number of the other Apollo astronauts visiting the site a periodically on multiple subjects Uh, a little you know and you always started to hear anecdotal stories about Apollo astronauts and of course you couldn't be uh, anything but interested in some of these stories like uh, John Young's ham sandwich that was hidden on uh, his uh, mission on Gemini 3 with Gus Grissom and they didn't find it until after they had been recovered uh, in, in the ocean uh, he he had lost the sandwich in uh, microgravity inside the uh, inside the Gemini uh capsule yeah,
1: that's uh, I'm sure that a few other things got lost in there because of uh, uh, people would pack certain memorabilia and try to bring them back. Uh, So as uh, as we move forward, you know, those days were heavy uh, involved with astronauts and we still have astronauts uh, going up to the space station. That's kind of where we moved to. We're doing a lot of explorations. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the shift now and why we're doing that? versus uh, the manned space program? Because there's always controversy between the manned space program and the robotic or autonomous vehicles.
2: Well, uh, the the stated vision for a Gemini or a Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo came from, of course, uh, President Kennedy. And it was a bold vision. And I, I think what's happening now is that at, at some point, uh, the population of Earth will realize that this uh, our home planet is only going to survive so long, uh, both what you mentioned before environmentally the 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 resources of the earth will be used up, and we have to we have to take our civilization somewhere else uh, and th- This is becoming more and more true as we 've learned over the last forty fifty years of astronomer results and information is that in less than a billion years the, the, our, our sun is going to become a red giant, similar to Betelgeuse in the uh, constellation of Orion. And it will become such a large red giant that the sun will be all the way through our orbit around the sun and will cook the earth into a cinder. Yes, it's a, it's a billion years away. But by gosh, we've got, to, we've got to get at it and move off the planet and go to other places.
1: You know, as I look at the early launches, you got the Soviet Union uh, with Sputnik 1, of course, the United States with Explorer, uh, France with uh, Asterix, uh, Japan with Ushumi, um, China with Dongfang Hong 1, the United Kingdom with uh, Prospero. Uh, The European Agency entered with CAT-1 and other uh, countries, India, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, Iran, uh, North Korea, New Zealand. So all these countries are providing... Uh, their own launches into space and and that's growing and one of the things that is significant is of course the growth of uh, commercialization and we'll talk about that in the second segment but uh, do you recall any other funny stories or or tasks that you were given while you were in NASA? Uh,
2: I do Uh, one very succinct good story was uh, uh, I was in building four on Johnson Space Center and uh, just walked into the elevator uh, and, and I was waiting in the corner to go up, and, and in walks Buzz Aldrin and Gene Kranz, And uh, Buzz turned to Gene and says, well, why didn't I know about the program alarm, the 1202 program alarm? And, and Gene went into a very long explanation of the training syllabuses that were different between uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And he said, you, your focus was the navigation and, and uh, uh, g- knowing the sequence of events that had to happen to get down to the surface of the uh, moon. And, uh, and uh, Neil Armstrong knew about the 1202 and 1201 program alarms, but you didn't because that wasn't part of your required curriculum. And Buzz turned to Gene and said, You know, I should have been included in that one. (laughs) So here it was 20 years later. It was uh, after the last uh, Apollo mission in 72. uh, Finally, Buzz Aldrin gets around to ask Gene Kranz, how come I didn't know that?
3: That's. Uh,
1: I'm sure the relationship between the astronauts were very special, and that's. Uh, I don't think anybody can understand that type of relationship. I know the flight crew members, or folks who work on a team, or you know uh, any type type of team experience. You, know, you get very close to your your partner, and especially if you have a major goal. Uh, of reaching or doing something that no one else has done it's a it's a very special moment as you uh, progress through your military career uh, and you look back at NASA and some of the astronauts, what are they doing today? are they glad they retired they missed something or what do you what do you think they're thinking about when you talk to them?
2: Well, I still have a sense of a number of astronauts I still communicate with of the absolute energy uh, and the explosion of activity uh, during the uh, Mercury, Gemini and Apollo era and even well into the shuttle experience and uh, launching uh, satellites in the shuttle and doing all this experimentation uh, was just the cat's meow for them. They just loved doing these different projects. And uh, I, I tell you what, the enthusiasm was wonderful when I got down there in 1990, um, but uh, when the um, uh, Clinton administration uh, killed or uh, with Congress turned off uh, uh, Space Station Freedom, um, there was a lot of anxiety about what we were going to go do. And the the end of the Apollo area era when they canceled uh, Apollo 18, 19, and 20, uh, there was a lot of comment during that time frame in the early 90s that that was the wrong thing to do. We would already have communities working on the moon uh, that, will, uh, that were self-sufficient and they could even provide energy back to the earth via microwaves. Um, so the, the excitement was there. It always has been. And there's, uh, we need new bold visions uh, to move forward.
1: As we continue to expand on the NASA um, uh, part or relationship into space, I, I think in the early days it was critical. As you notice, uh, um, the Challenger uh, was a, a dual military NASA project, and I can remember uh, the explosion of the Challenger at the time. I was sitting there at, in the Pentagon, and I, I you know across the hall were the space guys, and and when that that Challenger blew up, I mean, it was a significant event because of uh, payload delivery. Payload delivery is always a critical piece. The U.S. leads most nations in putting up satellites. Uh, How significant was that uh, to the U.S. space program, That talks.
2: Well, it changed my environment very quickly. Um, Number one, uh, Admiral Truly, uh, instead of being my boss in Naval Space Command, Uh, returned to NASA as the new director for the shuttle program. Uh, So he immediately uh, went back to NASA and managed the recovery after the Challenger accident. And as you well know, it wasn't for two years uh, before we went back to space uh, uh, in the shuttle because the problem was going to be corrected. Uh, Very similar to... uh, uh, the Apollo correction for Apollo One after uh, the demise of three um on the pad uh, down in Florida.
3: We've got
1: a couple of minutes left before we go to the next break. Is there anything uh, that you remember uh, that you that we have not shared right now at this moment uh, with the audience?
2: Well, I, I enjoyed my time at uh, Johnson Space Center very much. The 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 constant banter about excitement of going to do a new project assigned to new uh, activities on orbit. Uh, one thing I did uh, did. Uh, really become to realize that uh, for us, uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. John Brandenburg, is a plasma physicist, and he says, now is the time to dream big and have bold visions of the future. Even as present realities in aerospace are challenging, we must Mm -hmm. reflect upon how the dreams of uh, Solkowski and Goddard led us to a century, just within 100 years, of what we've accomplished in going to space and how it's changed our world whether it's gps or satellite communications from around the world or things like iridium when you pick up a telephone uh, and no matter where the other person is you can talk to them uh... pretty amazing stuff so uh... i mean dr Brandenburg puts forward that there are new technologies that we need to take advantage of both in robotic your question a few minutes ago about the robotic capabilities we need to take advantage of robotics and, and changes in how we do business because we could survey the entire moon with a robot and, and, uh, and then go uh, look for water and other uh, resources on the moon that we could take advantage of.
1: Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking with uh, Captain Hawks Abbott, uh, a space enthusiast, a person I've known uh, Uh, For a long, long time, spent 36 years in the career. We are going to take our first commercial break now. We'll be back with Ron Cole talking about the commercial industry.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show.
1: Welcome, folks. Uh, We're here talking about uh, space. Uh, The next frontier. Where do we go from uh, all those other shows that we talked about? We talked about uh, driverless cars. We talked about UAVs. We talked about robotics. We talked about uh, cybersecurity. And I I look at this uh, show today as the culmination of uh, bringing all those technologies or merging all those technologies into one show. Our next speaker and guest is Ron Cole. I've known Ron for many years, he's another great speaker. Space enthusiast, uh, military retired, and right now working uh, for the state of Colorado in in the commercial space business. So I'd like to ask him a couple questions uh, about the commercial industry and how that industry is growing, and why is that industry ma- is going to make a difference. So Ron, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jose. It's always good to chat with you and Hawks, and hope your audience
4: out there. Uh, Commercial space, I think you have to start and say the single biggest change we've seen in commercial space over the last, I'll pick a window, five to ten years, is what I would call access and cost going down, and now with the push from the Space Council, actually deregulation to even encourage more of that. Uh, by access, I mean today more than ever in the history of space. The average citizen can get engaged in space. Uh, they may not be able to fly, they may space launches, but there are organizations all across this nation of ours that open the door, and it's no longer just a NASA military area of Uh You have groups like here in Colorado, we have what's called the Space Business Roundtable. Uh, those folks are aggressively out encouraging companies that are in in space, to expand or encourage new company. Uh, Colorado actually has designated on the governor's staff an aerospace advocate, and he goes around uh, working in both the space and the aero part for Colorado. And uh, we're happy to claim, and we get some pushback on this, we're happy to claim that we're probably the second most successful state as far as aero and space goes today. And then if you look across the nation, you have groups like uh, a group called Space Angels. If you have an idea and you need funding to get something started, these guys are help you get started. They uh, have Citizens for manned Space. These folks, uh, they want to see man go into space, not just a bunch of robotic activities. And uh, one of my favorite groups that are really looking long-term is something called the 100-Year Starship. This is an international group of folks that open to the citizens of any nation to think about what we need to do to really get ready to go to space. There's just a lot of opportunities
1: out there like that. Ron, right, there's a lot of uh, discussion. Uh and uh if you're on a wireless uh please uh, uh speak right into it We're you're coming in a little broken there, but okay, uh sorry. there's a lot of debate about uh going to mo- uh the moon or returning to the moon or going back to Mars, and a lot of that's being bled by the private sector i think uh can you comment on any of that? It kind of dovetails to your uh your hundred year yeah, so I think if you look at guys like
4: uh, 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 The uh, SpaceX folks, uh, they have some very aggressive ideas, and I think the kind like Hawks talked about we need some really, uh, let's look out-of-the-box type of activity. You have a number of congressmen who have signed up. They have bumper stickers, by the way, you can get from the House and from the Senate that says Mars in 2030. So we've got Congress seriously thinking about that. A lot of money, a lot of technology that needs to get us there, but folks are thinking about that. My personal preference would be, uh, we've been to the moon, uh, you know, maybe except for putting a, a refueling station or something up there. Let's, let's head out for Mars. If we're really going to spend our dollars wisely, uh, we need to look further out. than just going back. Air folks will help us get there. I, I'm, I'm not sure that we can meet the timeline that uh, SpaceX has laid out. That's a good challenge. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, But there are people looking at that. Um, And what I think will get us there is this change in the commercial view of space. Folks are seeing that money can be made there. That's always a big driver. Uh, I read someplace recently that over the last nine years, there's been over 300 companies, startup companies associated with space, nearly $4 billion in funding. Folks, I'm into those goods. When you put that kind of money out there, you get people's attention, and that will help us get to where we need to (laughs) go.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Ron. A lot of people forget about all the new technology and all oh, the research yeah. that it took uh, just to get in the early days and the benefits that we are currently having today. I mean, I look at GPS. I look at uh, you know the components on your cell phone. Uh, you name a technology that you're currently using, in the early pioneer days and the research for that came in the you know in the uh, in the '60s, '70s, '80s, and now. you're... Year, we're, we're, we're taking advantage of the fruits of that labor. Uh, NASA has developed a lot of technology, both from the commercial side of the house, but also the medical side of the house, and we can't forget that. So that's kind of where yeah. I'm uh,
4: very strong. Well, it, that's very true. I, I think it's, it's an old adage that uh, the sign of a successful technology is when people just take it for granted. And Hawks mentioned GPS. I mean, think of something today that is not affected by GPS. You can't even use your credit cards. You can't do back transfers. 50th um, Space Wing down in Colorado Springs has a very interesting briefing they do, and they start off by saying that there are three things that have affected the human race. One was fire, one was the wheel, and one was GPS, and we're in charge of GPS. So they're very, very proud of that fact, and you're right on. There's all kinds of, you, know, you talk about all this. High level stuff. But even the little yellow sticky that everybody uses, we can't live without today. It's about the, yep. the, bioproduct-
2: it. the space effort right
1: Yep, the post it.
2: So well, and uh, let is- alone and let alone Wait. CAT scans and MRIs that discover oh, yeah. underneath yeah. the skin before they become a problem so that we live healthier lives.
1: Absolutely, and so that's the reason I'm I'm very enthusiastic about the space program. Uh, I'm excited about the 300 uh, uh, companies that are joining that. The money is there, and money always drives the uh, you know entrepreneur, the innovators. They're going to come. Uh, because uh, it, it is a challenge. People love challenges. And, of course, okay. uh, I guess the number one thing that we'll always have to fight is, you know, how many engineers are we educating our people correctly? Uh, right. Are we pushing it in the right direction? Those are all questions. Uh, are you guys addressing that in Colorado?
4: Yeah, we have a program uh, that's being led uh, by General Adele retired, who is our space advocate. He started this. Uh, we call it the Dream Big. And we are actually going around to what I would call the outback areas of Colorado, the areas that don't have a front range. If you drive down 25, Interstate 25, north to south, there's a lot going on there. But then we have some really talented people in the outer reaches. We are reaching out now. We're we're going sort of around the perimeter of the state, and we're meeting with high schools uh, and having a full day. Averaging 400 students, a lot of the space companies come in and they spend time talking to these students with the idea of getting the juniors and seniors in high school to really become interested in something that would lead to an engineering degree in some form or another. And it's been, We've had two now. We're setting up our third one in April. It's going to be up in Edwards, Colorado. Uh, we've already got 350 students signed up. Uh, And we've got something like uh, 30 or 40-some companies signed up from robotics to 3D printing to UAVs. We actually run classes on space, what it means, what space really means. So we're reaching out uh, very deliberately to get people's attention. They have a program that they also run here called Space Day at the Capitol. It's free. All these companies get floor space in the state capitol. And uh, it's an incredible turnout. And students come in, parents come in. So there's a major effort on the STEM side uh, to get people's attention out here.
1: Yeah, I can see. Uh, I can see Colorado. I'm trying, and I agree with you that we need a spark, uh, or to rekindle our space effort or space enthusiasm. I just don't see it there, and I don't see a nation, pu- you know, a national push. I see state by state, or or a particular company, but we really well, need a national push towards that. Uh, okay. Maybe you can you. enlighten me. <laughs>
4: If you look at SpaceX and their recoverable boosters, I mean, how many of us grew up, you know, watching all the space movies and reading all the science fiction books about the uh, the, the boosters coming back and just sort of easily landing? Well, they've had three or four successes now, and that's got everybody's attention. The Falcon Heavy, what, what a success! What a credible story, uh, you know. I, I think uh, we were talking about it. The two of the boosters came back from that. It's one of the largest launches we've had. The third mm-hmm. booster. Intended to come back, it's probably tongue-in-cheek. They're so focused on electrical cars, someone forgot to check the gas gauge, and they ran out of gas before they get that third booster to the But think about the technology that it takes to put a satellite in orbit and then have a booster come down and land on a platform in the middle of the ocean.
1: No, that was fantastic. And I think yeah. that you're absolutely right. we got to take advantage of the SpaceX, the privatization, yep. and that enthusiasm. And I still think we need that spark. But without uh, the Falcon X or the Falcon 9 heavy uh, uh, Dragon development uh, process, uh, I, I just don't see it, at least in mind, you know, Jose Negron, uh, thinking about how do we get and how do we generate because it's a stem cell uh, activities that we have to do.
4: Well, think about just uh, over the last, I, I, my personal impression is over the last five to eight years, all uh, of the successes we've had, we've had the Dawn system, uh, the Dawn uh, program went out to the C&E, the New Horizon, the Pluto. I mean, there are kids today. i talked to a lot of high school kids out here, and I yeah. asked some of them, where were they in 2006? Most of were right. nine years old. And all of a sudden, you know, nine years later, this thing flies past Pluto. You've got... Well, European side, uh, all kinds of successes that are catching people's attention.
1: Okay, yeah. so let's yeah. do this. I'd like to go to my uh, second commercial, and when we come back, we'll come back and uh, further discuss a little bit more of the commercial venture. We'll go we'll hit the military side of the house. And then we'll wrap it up for the day. Uh, It's a very interesting discussion. So, uh, folks, uh, uh, tune in to Today's Tomorrow's Technology at gmail.com.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger.
3: Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor, Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home? Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
2: Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one
3: of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: you are listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's one 866 472 Or send an email to todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show.
1: Welcome, everybody, back to T3 Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Uh, you're speaking with your host, Jose Negron, on the uh, Voice America Variety Channel. We're on at 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Time and as well as 9 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Today, I have two great guests, enthusiasts for space, former military members. I've known them for many years. Uh, Of course, uh, Hawks Abbott and Ron Coleman. Hawks uh, described the early days of NASA and those uh, issues that he confronted in in meeting all the astronauts. I think that's probably his highlight. Got to meet a lot of the Apollo astronauts and Gemini astronauts. And then Ron, of course, has been working on the military intel side of the house, and now currently is uh, working for the state of Colorado and doing commercial business there. Before we left for our first break, I was talking to Ron about uh, the enthusiasm that is needed uh, to recapture uh, the uh, American public so that we can get into space. And Ron was uh, getting ready to tell us a few stories about what they're doing in the state of Colorado. So, Ron, over to you.
4: Well, uh, as I said, we're if we, you we take a look on online at the uh, Colorado website, there's a thing called One Mile Closer to Space. Um, it was a, a big study we did on the impact that Colorado has and can have in the future on space. I talked about the number of companies we have out here, how they're involved, what they contribute to the local economy, mainly commercial side. We deal quite a bit, as, as, as you well know, Jose, on the – yeah, uh, supporting the government side of space. We have the big boys out here like Lockheed, and Boeing and Raytheon and Northrop Grumman. Uh, we have some guys like Sierra Nevada, which is a very successful company out here. They have their Dream Chaser program, which catches folks' attention. It's a reusable lifting body that uh, they can take guys out into space and gals and bring them back uh, very safely. Um, we have a number of... Uh, just incentive programs. Uh, the state's very proud of the fact that we are heavily involved in uh, space activities. Uh, we look around and we can see where there's potential growth in space industry in areas like um, ground based equipment, ground equipment, uh, processing activities. Um, I read someplace in the past, just recent past, that uh, they're talking about. 110 billion dollars over the next 20 years. that could be invested in just ground processing alone from space. So it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, the libraries out here, the Douglas County Library System, for example, have a couple of programs where they're encouraging uh, the kids to get involved in space, and, and they have a uh, they have Space Day things like that that are supported by. Folks like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Raytheon and, and the guys, Sierra Nevada. Um, it's an effort to make sure people understand that space is the future and we've got to get our folks focused in that area and uh, keep everybody moving in the right direction.
1: Perfect. Can anybody tell me, uh, Ron or Hawks, how many satellites are up there in space? And, and my understanding is either going to double or triple
4: that depends on who you listen to. <laughs> if you listen to SpaceX, they're <laughs> uh, about ready to put 1,400 satellites in the Earth orbit to provide everybody instantaneous debt, internet access. I don't know. Talks may know the total number of satellites up there. I know there are 50 countries around the world today that have access that operate space in orbit, spacecraft in orbit. So, you know, that's up considerably from 10 years ago when it was mainly uh, the United States, Russia, and China. But right now there are over 50 countries that do that. Uh, a lot of them piggyback on stuff we do, but uh, uh, the exact number, I don't know. I know there's a lot of space junk up there that we're all worried <laughs> about, I and mean, that's an opportunity. Someone needs to figure out how to clean out the uh, the orbital plans. We'd be in good shape.
2: There's about uh, 900 to 1,000 operational satellites right now. Um, and there's a number that have been turned off and are obsolete. Uh, they're in orbits that are uh, obsolescence and, and aren't used. Um, however, uh, according to the Ellis report in the summer of 2016, um, Admiral Ellis was the former commander of Stratcom, and in his study with the. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Academy of Sciences, the proposals were for an additional 16,000 satellites in the next 10 years. My, yeah, wow.
4: yeah.
2: My gosh. Yeah. Well, here's one that
4: scared me a little bit. Personally, I think mean, it may be a grand idea. The University of Cambridge in England is actually conducting a study of what would be the impact if we start putting satellites at 50 nautical miles in orbit. Shorter lifespan, more access, but just think about that. If all of a sudden you had to fly through mm-hmm. a bunch of satellites orbiting at 50 nautical miles to get to your normal operating area, but they've actually been, they're being paid by the uh, British government to take a look at what, what's the pros and cons, what are the pros and cons of uh, a 50 nautical mile orbit for a satellite? Uh, a- it, abso- absolutely. That
1: The orbital, uh, paths or the orbits around, you know, the uh, uh, high orbit, middle orbit and low orbits that we have, uh, you know, it's interesting because we do have a lot of space junk and it gets back to the guy who can, uh, uh, I guess, clean it up. It's uh, somebody's uh, trash is somebody else's uh, uh, richness, I guess, is the old adage there. And I think that we're going to get back into that. That worries me. A lot of folks are tracking the space junk, and every time something happens to uh, uh, a satellite or a, um, you know, parts of the satellite, it becomes the space junk that we have to track, and and we have to go through it in order to get to to the orbit we would like to have. Uh, both from a commercial, uh, are any major challenges in the technology that you see either Hawk or Ron?
2: Well, one thing that's coming forward that everybody is going to learn about is how connected the different systems are, whether it's a meteorological system or a imagery system or a uh, comm system or maybe it's Landsat uh, watching uh, changes in the Earth. Um, the situational awareness of each of those spacecraft presently is done through... Um, a single bent pipe to that particular system. And the knowledge set that we need to develop is the interconnectivity of all those systems so that we can do, uh, how should I say, uh, flight management so they don't bump into each other or do they, if they have to change or because of space weather, their orbits change, that we can protect the asset and avoid collisions and creating more debris.
1: Uh, talking about debris, I'm just sitting here reading a fact. There's over 500,000 pieces of space junk, uh, down to the item about 0.0, 0 or 0. 0.5 inches or 1.27 centimeters wide, and of those, 21,000 objects are larger than four inches. Uh, so, as you said, there's a lot of debris up there, um, and hopefully, we'll. I, I think we'll have to address that in the next five or 10 years for sure, because you can't. Get Continue launching the number of satellites. Go ahead, Ron.
4: Absolutely. It has to be addressed. And, and one of the things that might get us there, you know, t- trees, trees are trees, and then to a large degree we're operating on our space tree. It was signed way back uh, when Hawks and I were in grade school. Um, but there have been some updates, and there was some recent activity in the last three or four years uh there's a thing called the Space Code of Conduct uh that the European Union put out there to try to get people to think about, okay, if you put a satellite up, you're responsible for bringing it down when it's true, just don't leave it up there uh so there's there's areas there that and we want to make sure that as a planet space is sustainable because it has such an impact on us day to day uh you know we just we just put up a brand new weather site- the United States just put up a brand new weather satellite. That's going to improve worldwide warning for all kinds of natural weather disasters. But if that gets up there and it's impacted because it's a little crowded, it's like being on an interstate these days. Uh, So there are people who are thinking about these issues that will affect commercial space. Uh, You know, the code of conduct, uh, even our friends, the French, they have put up a thing in front of the United Nations that are asking for a, a worldwide participation in how do we, how do we address Space debris, can we force some of these companies to actually take the action to get their systems back down? So people are thinking they're seeing the commercial impact, uh, they're seeing the potential investment there. Uh, you know, when you've got roughly one third of the, the nations in the world playing in space now and others wanting to play, um, maybe just peer pressure will get us to where we need to go on, on cleaning up that mess up there and making sure we have that access that Hawk was talking about earlier.
2: And as uh, space uh, systems proliferate in the next 10 to 15 years, as we've suggested by the numbers, the intelligence integration for situational awareness to prevent... Collisions such as Cosmos and Iridium uh, of over 10 years ago, and we saw what that did. And we, we, space needs to be managed no less than what's happened with the FAA and, and the airplanes. Um, but we need to develop a system on how to get there, number one, and number two, how to develop um, policies and agreements so that the use of space is available to everybody. But in particular for the United States, we need to always uh, have a leadership role in, the, in those ideas.
1: Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're talking about the uh, topic today is space, the next frontier. And we have two special guests, uh, Mr. Ron Coleman and, of course, uh, uh, Mr. Hawks Abbott now, retired uh, from the Navy for 36 years doing space, run, Intel, and also space enthusiasts, worked on the commercial side. If you got any questions, please call 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologiesgmail.com. I'd like to switch topics a little bit now. Let's go into a big supporter, of course, and user of space was the military. Uh, Any major changes on that front there from your perspective, Hawks?
2: Uh, Advancements in the technology will be in the chips that manage satellites. Uh, And those chips will have to have uh, uh, secondary and tertiary uh, processes within them to say if they got damaged, that they can revitalize themselves uh, or re, uh, re uh, communicate uh, to the to the ground and our, and this uh, the spacecraft and space system management to, to avoid having uh, uh, problems occur on orbit, uh, self uh, uh, protection, uh, resiliency, all of those go back to. the the chip that manages the satellite. We can't afford to have uh, the downlinks and uplinks uh, jammed or anything else without the chip managing the satellite and allow it to do its job regardless of whether it's communicating to the ground.
1: The critical piece uh, from, of course, the typical weather satellites, the communication satellites, you mentioned, uh, the surveillance satellites, uh, you know, the, it's it's intriguing how the future will integrate most of that. And, of course, uh, let's talk about uh, the advantages of larger satellite versus smaller satellites, because there's uh, always a competition for that. What is your comments on that, either Ron or Hawks?
4: Well, I think you're, you're going to see uh, a press uh, from the government and other folks to go to smaller satellites because of the perceived cost savings. Um, I'm actually not a huge proponent of that. I think some of the larger satellites do things that smaller satellites can do. do. Uh, but you're going to see an increase in, uh, in smaller satellites, and there's a lot of guys and gals stepping up out there to do that. Uh, Digital Globe has got... Uh, some really good plans coming. I think the the single biggest thing, and it's like most of us uh, do at one time or another, we get really enamored by the bright, shiny objects up there in space, and we forget about the stuff that gets to the ground. And and, if you can't handle it on the ground, either commercial or military, you're going to have an issue. I think artificial intelligence is a real technology that's going to help out there. Uh, The ability to take in where there massive amounts of structured and unstructured data and make sense of it so you don't ask a military analyst to try to make sense of it initially, but let the uh, the artificial intelligence pull them in directions where there are, there are associations, there time space people, things that they need to be aware of, that because of the massive amount of data that's going to be coming down, and is coming down, um, these analysts need some help pulling them in the right direction. And so we can put up all the great satellites in the world, but if we don't handle the ground processing for our analysts, uh, we're losing some capability there.
1: Yeah, I think uh, as the future moves on and we get a little further away, uh, we've got to get to the processing speed, uh, AI, machine to machine, uh, the analytical, uh, uh, cognitive, uh, analytical work that needs to be done. So all those uh, items need to be uh, um, looked at and really uh, matured. I always find it kind of interesting. Uh, Everybody says uh, everybody's a collector, depending on if you're carrying a smartphone, and that's true. But the question is, who's processing it? And if I'm only processing 5%, who who cares? Or I have a shiny object down there in the the pile of hay and where's the pony? And so all those things are, have to be addressed and and we we need to get going uh, from a military perspective uh, also. What are the, how about some key technologies other than uh, AI uh, materials, uh, rocket propulsion, any of those, uh, um, have you had conversations with others industry about those?
2: Uh, I've had uh, a couple of uh, continued conversations with Dr. Brandenburg uh, about um, how uh, we do um, propulsion in space and and how he, he keeps going back to major gravity and electromagnetism capabilities that are coming forward and he predicts within the next 10 years we may have spacecraft that uh, uh, propel themselves on black energy. And so I, as, as a person who, uh, I'm kind of one of these people that, you know, in order to move across the surface of the ocean, you have to use oars or propellers. <laughs> and, and listening to him, uh, I'm aware that there are things we just haven't quite figured out, and they're on the horizon. They're very close. Right. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. folks, we got about four more minutes. Uh, 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 let's turn to Ron. Ron, uh, about a minute. Uh, any last thoughts as we move towards uh, the end of the program?
4: Well, I would just encourage your listeners to really think that uh, space is within their grasp uh, if they get a chance to talk to their uh, either their state uh, representatives and locally or their national representatives. If you can get their attention these days. Uh, to talk about space and let them know you're interested and let them know you think uh, that the, the future of the U.S. is even more and more tied to space capabilities. Uh, you know, and you talk about are um, you know, capabilities coming down there that just boggle the mind. I mean, you talk about space sail. You talk about ion engines, the things that are going to allow us to maybe take a shot at Mars. Uh, you talk about boosters that are going to be able to put satellites up for the military at a big reduced cost. So that, that cost will come back, from hopefully, for more R&D. So you know, just keep your heart in the right place and keep thinking space, and maybe we'll
2: get to where we need to be a little bit quicker.
1: Okay, thank you, Ron. How about you, Hawks? About a-
2: Well, and I when I mentioned it before. What really started us down this path was Kennedy's bold vision uh, that day at Rice University um, when, he, when he said he was gonna, we were going to go to the moon and return uh, astronauts safely. Um, Gene Krantz said something in the elevator that day uh, with uh, Buzz Aldrin, and he said, uh, uh, you know, I will put it this way, what America will dare, America will do. Perfect. Perfect.
1: You're right there. Thank you for uh, being with us today, uh, Hawks and uh, and Ron. Uh, I appreciate your comments and everything. As I wrap up the show, we've got uh, a little bit less than a minute, but uh, I'd like to thank my guests because space is the next frontier. We will be going back to the moon or Mars, and that's still a debate, but the bottom line is humanity is moving out towards space, and all the new technology and the enthusiasm has to be created in order to get to that next vision and get us out into space. So I thank the audience. I thank uh, my guests today and I'll see you next week as we talk about energy. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.